you know, every dollar you can bring to the bottom line is another four times or five times or six times that dollar that you can you can earn at an exit. You could spend two years on perfecting the perfect product, perfect business model, what you think is a perfect product, business model. Go to market and learn that, you know, somebody's already beat you to market a year ago and the customers don't like anything about what you have to offer. listening to the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day even sellable. I'm Isaac Porter, and on the show today, Website Closers' Alex Matos joins me to talk with co-founder of Rary Nutrition, Sean Kelly, about his exit in the super competitive supplement space. At Website Closers, we've brokered several deals and supplements including one you heard about on this podcast a few months back. It always amazes me how these companies have been able to carve out a niche for themselves in this $150 billion industry when it feels like every parcel of the supplement space has already been taken. A Ferrari Nutrition back in 2015, Sean and his co-founder, Chris Bosco, had always been into fitness and involved in the industry, and they noticed something about supplements we're very health conscious people like i feel like more and more so the supplement space is getting away from the very thing they intend to do is it's it's supposed to be you know aid in your health and wellness journey whereas you have a lot of synthetic ingredients artificial dyes colors uh, flavoring sweeteners that may or may not you know have studies behind them that have different um the outcomes so i i think if, if I can, if I have the choice to pick a natural product versus a natural product, otherwise the exact same ingredient panel, otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to the natural product 10 out of 10 times. So they came up with a couple things like the name Rari, which sounds like Ferrari, which made it sound like a premium brand. And Rari also stands for rise above with real ingredients. And they came up with their first product, the Infinity Pre-Workout Performance Supplement in Strawberry Lemonade, which is my personal favorite. That was us just trial and error. You know, we, we knew like, you know, L-citrulline, mallet, and, and beta-alanine and what the effects of those were. And I think it was just a matter of just putting them together and finding out what worked for us the best. And so we found a, a formula that worked what we thought was better than anything else that we've ever tried. And it was. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how we started with the Infinity Formula. Um, and from there, we got to, got it in the hands of a manufacturer, kind of did some R&D on it, and they you know tweaked the flavoring and, and stuff like that. So it, it actually was palatable, too. Yeah. Okay, so you, you do your research, you kind of make the formula, you get a manufacturer. I'm sure you, get, you work through packaging and, and you know coming up with the logo and all that stuff. Now you've got this product and you're going to start to sell and distribute it. How do you, how do you get a foothold in the market? Like what was, and I guess this would have been in 2015, 2016 timeframe. Okay. So like, what was that first inventory order process like for you? And how did you start to, you know, get a name for the brand and start to scale the sales? What, what, were, what were like the first things that you remember doing back in that time? Frame? Yeah. 
So we had, um, and we, and we launched, so we our our first product was infinity, but we launched a creatine capsule right after that, you know, within a month. And I will say that order that with the, the very first order of creatine was a complete failure. We had a brand new manufacturer do it that we didn't really check up on, didn't, you know, do our, our own research on. And they kind of, there was a huge defect in the product that it was unsellable and so we contacted them curious it was uh it was a capsule so the capsules would all like clump together it was it it would you know when like gummy bears get heated and they all clump together it was like that with capsules and so it was just on unsellable at that point so how much money did you have tied up in that order do you remember i mean i think that it was a relative you know it was early on and it was relatively small but i think it was like fifteen thousand dollars maybe um you know, now wouldn't be a huge deal for us, but getting started, you, you know, with limited capital, limited resources is like a, it's a huge issue. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, that sucked, that hurt us, but, um, you know, long story short, we kind of pivoted around that, uh, got away from the creeping capsules at the end of the day. And, uh, that manufacturer went out of business or whatever they did never heard from them again. Yeah. That was kind of, the one of the major issues that we saw when we got started um, was manufacturing, making sure that our manufacturer was legit. And and you know we we went into this whole process not knowing anything about manufacturing and contract manufacturing packaging, so it was kind of like a trial and error period for us. Um, and so there was you know we learned a lot uh, to say the least. Um, what does the process look like you look like for you now when you're vetting out a new manufacturer for some of your new new projects that you're working on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know for us, number one, it's you want to make sure they're uh, registered, um, like then they're GMP compliant. Um, I think that's the biggest one um, that they'll give you COAs, you know, with each product lot, so that you know whether it be a, a retailer or Amazon, you can you have those to verify whenever they ask for them as well and making sure they're, they're doing third-party testing, um, you know, in the incoming raw materials and, you know, the finished product as well uh, to identify any, you know, heavy metals or salmonella or E. coli or anything remotely um, that could, could harm people. So those are the biggest things, it, you know, especially being consumable, it's, you got to pay attention to, to that. You know, and, and we didn't know what even GP compliant was or, or you know, what 30 par- third-party testing looked like. So it was kind of just every, everything A to Z, you know, we had to learn from that. So, yeah, so that, that seven or $15,000 order or so, I think, was was a hit on that creatine that we took. So that was early on. From there, we kind of got our products on Amazon. And that's that's really where we penetrated the market is is Amazon. That's just what worked for us. We tried the brand ambassador affiliate way. It didn't really take off like we thought it would. And so that's when we went into Amazon and kind of found our footing. Um, it, it just was, a, again, a learning experience with Amazon in terms of getting reviews, how the sales algorithm worked, and all of that good stuff. So. Okay. Ultimately, it worked. Yeah, it worked out for us, and and you know later on brought on retailers in our direction. Kind of was there was there ever like a pivotal moment where you thought, okay, this this is working, this is going to work? Like, you know, is there? Do you have a memory of kind of that definitive moment where you had confidence that the business was going to take off? 
I wouldn't say there was like one moment, but it's, it's, um, you know, as you see the the business expand and scale, you get more and more confident, I think, on what you're doing and double down on what's working and then, you know, breaking away from what's not working. And so that's, that's really all it is, I think. And, and, you know, sometimes you look back and you're like, yeah, that's, you know, we're nowhere near the stress, anxiety, and the issues we used to have when we first started. So that's amazing to, to kind of think about and, and hindsight's always, you know, 2020. So I think, you know, looking back at those issues now from my point of view is are like very amateur mistakes that would never happen again, but it's, it's, it's important to, you know, learn from those mistakes. And, and that's, you know, you can dive into whether it be a business like this or any other business venture you want to get into. I think, you know, if you have the right mindset, you can, you can do it. It's just a matter of if you're, if you're that type of person that can learn from your mistakes. And so, yeah. Did you have a mentor kind of in the space or did you, did you guys have anybody to go and ask for direction or were you really just figuring it out all on your own? We were figuring out pretty much all on our own. I mean, we had in terms of like the business and um, like our, our product manufacturing, everything like that. We did have, I would kind of call them mentors in the Amazon space that helped us kind of get our footing there. We later, later bought them out, but they, they had a tremendous effect on our business in terms of the scale that we, that brought to Amazon early on, I would say. Now you were also uh, pretty early in the business, got into some retail channels as well. Can you kind of talk about that and how that, how that went and maybe what the positives and negatives were? Yeah. So I was, yeah, Amazon kind of helped us, you know, validate our brand to these retailers. They could see that we were one of the number one brands for the natural supplement niche. And so we could kind of bring that information data to them and analytics and they can, and kind of present it to them be like, Hey, you know, we're interested in partnering with whatever it is, vitamin shop or walmart.com. Um, and those, those are some of the retailers we got in were vitamin shop.com, walmart.com, CVS, I think mostly on the Eastern seaboard, um, Swanson vitamins, uh, a few, a few others like that. And, you know, there, there's less margin in, in that, but it's it also th- those stores alone also give your brand brand awareness. You know, even if we could break even on that, it helps get our brand into new um, new customers' hands. So that we looked at it that way. Um, and you know, granted, we we did make money on those channels. It just wasn't a huge focus for us because of how well Amazon was scaling, fast it was scaling, the margins that we had on it, and so the issue that we saw going into retail was we had, we, you know, we would distribute to not distribute, but we'd sell to vitamin shop, walmart.com, CVS, you know, in a few of these stores and some, some smaller distributors as well. And mostly the distributors would be the ones that, you know, we didn't know who they were selling to. And so people would, you know, we'd find it, it would just be competing with ourselves on Amazon. If, you know, we had other retailers listing their products on, our Amazon. Um, so th- that was the biggest issue that we faced. And, you know, we eventually came up with an Amazon restriction agreement that everybody had to sign if they wanted to do business with us. It helped, but also, you know, it, some people just, you know, 
I guess don't want to abide by that. Um, they want the, you know, they want to kind of undercut you or whatever it is. So you were distributing um, Rari product and then people yeah. were listing them on, on Amazon under your listings as another seller. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that was that like went on and off. Like, you know, we'd have to send them cease and desist or contact them um, to remove them or stop selling to them altogether. And that's, that's kind of the only workaround there. Um, you know, there's, there's some other methods now days you can use, but that's, that's the route we took. Yeah. Cause that, that would have been maybe pre brand registry, uh, on Amazon. Yeah. Early, now, early now on can, it was. Um, yeah. You can control that better, right? Yeah. It's, it's much easier to control now, I think than it was even a few years ago. Yeah. Okay. So you had, you had some interesting experiences with, uh, exiting the business you sold to a, a special acquisition company going IPO. Can you kind of talk talk through what that looked like, um, how that process went, you know, what some of your learnings yeah. were there? Uh, you know, yeah, that, that was a, that was another big uh, moment for us in terms of, you know, learning. <laughs> um, that was interesting because it was, you know, a couple individuals approached us, wanted to take our brand, um, with them public and, you know, we'd get some seats at the table, board seats and essentially still indirectly own our business, but within shares. Right. And so in theory, it looked, you know, the plan was amazing. You know, we, we raise X amount of dollars, expand our own business, grow the, you know, market cap. And, but I think with that, I think the number one, the, the couple, a couple things we learned with that are number one, do due diligence a little bit better in terms of, you know, that company wanted to do due diligence on our brand for acquiring us, but we didn't do enough due diligence on who was acquiring us. And if they could deliver on what they're saying that they can deliver, we kind of took it at face value and, and it, you know, wasn't a great experience for us, but it would, it, it you know, it would never happen again. Um, right. Cause I, I know how to prevent that now, but yeah, ultimately we went public. It was, I, I think, for lack of a better word, a disaster. You know, on on them and all the guys that we partnered with. We our, our brand was essentially the only brand in the public company that was net positive, and you know they used our brand as a bank essentially. And so that's when you know after we saw that it was okay. We got to kind of reverse back out of here, get out of here, and we had a couple of ventures that we did together within that public company that we actually gave them in exchange for our brand back. Um, so it was kind of a good trade off, but they got value from it. Um, we got our company back and we continued to, to grow it, kind of recover from that grow. It. And that was all during, you know, early days of COVID. So we had that in combination with supply chain issues that were going on. And yeah, um, that was in 2021 that, that, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 2021. Okay. And then at some point, and, and you know, you and I had had, we've known each other for a couple of years now. I met yeah. uh, you and Chris before that. Exodus. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Bef- <clears throat> before that, I think probably in 2019, maybe even earlier. And um, we were talking about selling our brand then, but we had just, I guess, pivoted and didn't want to sell yet. Um which could have, could have been good for us. I mean, the market was was good, and that was before kind of 
we had a hit on our margins with you know manufacturing costs and, and um, supply chain issues. So, but ultimately, yeah, we decided to wait, kind of reconnected after all of that happened. Waited probably a year from that. I, I, that kind of brings us to you know the the actual listing and sale with you. Yeah, so we got we got uh, kind of engaged with you earlier this year and marketed the company and just maybe from in your words kind of what how, how was that process you know kind of getting the company listed uh getting ready for the marketing talking with buyers you know what were what were maybe some of the pluses and minuses there or things that were surprising or things you thought that went well yeah so surprisingly seamless i would say i think the only thing that you know if if anybody is listening that is looking to exit their brand or sell their brand is the most importantly is, you know, your numbers, make sure your financials are on point before you even, you know, approach a broker, talk to a broker, list your business. And that, that's one of the things that I think even, you know, you realize is, is we had to kind of go back get our numbers under control internally first, because I think we were, uh, we were probably behind three to five months, depending and so we kind of got that all wrapped up, came to you, and it was from there, it was very seamless. I think within probably what a week or two, we had it listed, and then another two weeks we had it sold. Yeah, that was that was certainly surprising uh, for you know what I wasn't expecting it to to work that fast, I guess. You know, as you think back, Sean, over the last couple of years, you know, it's been I think a pretty a pretty interesting experience you've had in in founding the brand, scaling the brand. Going public, buying it back, selling it again—you know, what are the what are the things that stand out to you as kind of most memorable? And uh, I think there's been a like a ton of learning that you've taken from that that whole process, and now that's really launched you into some new ventures that are pretty interesting that I that I want to talk with you about as well. But like, what are the what are the biggest moments that you remember? And like, you know, what are kind of like three or four takeaways that, that maybe you could share with other founders who are thinking about? you know, selling and kind of making similar decisions to the ones that you've already made? Yeah. So I guess a few early on, if, you know, if you're a founder starting a business early on, get to market quick. Um, Don't worry about perfection. Just get to market, let your customers, let the market tell you how your product is, your business model is and adjust from there. Um, I see too many people waiting two years, a year, you know, to launch a product um when you know i think and that was frankly that was me early on because you know and and so i can say that now but you know i could create a business today and launch it tomorrow if if i had to you know and i think it's just speed and with speed you can make adjustments quick you could spend two years on perfecting the perfect product perfect business model what you think is a perfect product and business model go to market and learn that, you know, somebody's already beat you to market a year ago and the customers don't like anything about what you have to offer. Um, and so that's like the brutality of business. I think for entrepreneurs that are just getting started, um, I think anybody that's been in business probably understands that sees that same, those same issues. And so that's, that's one thing I wish I could have done better is like, just get out there and adjust as you go. Um, and so that's, that's what I do now. And it's, and it's very effective. Um, another big one for me was learning how businesses are valued. 
uh, right when selling. Because when I started my business early on, I didn't, you know, I wasn't worried about exiting. So, you know, and, and maybe, you know, some people are build, build their business not to exit, but I, you know, I do that so that, you know, I can have that lucrative um, exit one day. Um, but learning how they're, they're valued in terms of like what industry you're in, what multiples you're getting, you know, every dollar you can bring to the bottom line is another four times or five times or six times that dollar that you can, you can earn and exit. So, um, lean out the business, put as many dollars as you can on the bottom line. And, you know, and not only does it help you scale in the meantime, but it, you know, your financials will tell the story to that, you know, future buyer as well. So it's that. And I think nowadays in terms of like exit value, you know, get some kind of, predictable revenue stream, whether it be a subscription model or something similar. Um, I think that's probably pretty valuable. And I think you can, you know, you sold more, more businesses than I have. So I think you can probably speak to that as well. But I think those are, are a few very important things for people to look at when they're exiting. Yeah. Just, yeah, I guess a comment on the, on the subscription revenue. I think what, what buyer, especially in the e-commerce and technology space, these are really cash flow businesses. So buyers are buying, the expected cash flows of the future. And to your point, the more uh, stable those cash flows are, the higher multiple buyers are willing to pay in general. And so, yeah, things like the, re- the reason that supplements typically get a higher multiple than, you know, a consumer product that's purchased once is because they have the ability to be consumed and repurchased. So they're, they're consumable goods, you know, case in point, the, Infinity, I've got that on the subscribe and save, and I get one, I don't know, every whatever it is, every once a month or whatever, uh, whenever it renews. So that adds in that recurring element to your business, which I think when we took your business to market, a significant portion of your brand was recurring sales. It was subscribe and save revenue that was really driving the brand. And so that was pretty attractive. And I guess, Alex, that's maybe a question for you is when um when we went to market, you know, what was kind of feedback from from buyers and you know what was the interest level in the brand and um kind of how did that process run once we were actively marketing the uh the rari brand yeah like like sean mentioned i mean as soon as we hit the market we had plenty of activity and you know we've had this thing under contract within two weeks it felt like um so when it comes to um these products um you know they were they did stand out with it being a natural uh pre-workout which stood out buyers are always looking for FBA brands that are, you know, stable, good reviews. And then the subscribe and save was really what took it over the top um, because, you know, buyers want that cash flow, like you mentioned, and, you know, they pretty much hit all the check marks. Um, so, you know, it was just uh, <clears throat> solid all around. And I believe we had like 40, 50 NDAs in those two weeks and turned around with a cash buyer and pretty much had this thing listed and closed, I would say within a month, 40 days. Yeah, yeah, easily I think. Yeah. Sean, what what's kind of what's next for you? What are you, what are you working on now? How long did it take for you to start up uh another company after you sold this one or I think you actually had started several up before you sold Rari. Um, you know, what's kind of top of mind? What are your what are your favorite projects you've got you've got going on right now? Sure. Yeah, so we have a few things going on, but I, I would say the I think the main one is the main one we'd like to talk about is is a company called Synergy Sum, and that's it's really you know on the buy side of 
you know, all of this. So rather than, you know, creating a, a startup business and, and selling it one day, we're on the side of um, kind of on, on the side of e-commerce, private equity of, you know, acquiring existing brands that are attractive to us and that we feel we can scale with our team and our expertise and, and um, you know, getting into the next category of higher multiples and exiting those in three to five years. And so that's kind of what we're focused on now. And that's e-commerce focused um, for now, at least. And so what, what size companies are you kind of looking at there and, you know, how many acquisitions would you like to do in, you know, whatever time frame you kind of define it 12, 18 months? We're looking between, I would say an EBITDA of three and 5 million. Yeah, like two and five million, really. And so um, we're actually under contract now with one um, that hopefully we should close in the next three to four weeks. We'll see. But and a lot of those are through leverage buyouts. So we'll put in our you know good portion of equity, and then we'll we'll raise uh, debt financing for the rest um, if it makes sense, and you know scale those. Um, but ultimately, yeah, we're looking. I think two to three a year. You know, we're really opportunistic, you know, buyers. So I think, you know, we're not, we're not limiting ourselves, but also we're not, you know, there's, we don't have numbers that we have to hit. It's, it's really, you know, what makes sense for us is the brand, is the brand have a good track record? Has it been around for, you know, before COVID has it, does it have as, you know, these predictable revenue streams um, and, and, ultimately how, you know, how the business model functions and the, the financials stable. So, um, we look at a lot of that, do the due diligence and, and kind of make a decision and assessment on it. Um, yeah. Nice. So with the, with the debt financing, do you have, do you have bank partners you're working with or private, private lenders or what, what does that look like for your, um, yeah. So we have a, a kind of a mix. I think we have some really good relationships with banks, especially up in the Northeast. Um, but you know they're they're a little bit different than like say a mezzanine fund who would you know is interest only for the first you know three or five years whatever it is and um you know then all all of a sudden there's a balloon in five years and so whereas a bank you know they want their money back um you know equal payments within three years or five years and it's all negotiable but it's just a matter of i guess how you know, do I want more cash flow now or do I want more equity and do I not care about the cash flow in terms of like, you know, investor rate of return? I'd rather just pay it all back quickly, get my equity and then exit and get my, you know, large, you know, exit value sooner than later. Um, so, I mean, those are kind of the two, two focuses we have are, are like mezzanine funds and, um, and your, your traditional uh, banks. So I guess it just depends on the, you know, and, and these guys also have to be interested in, in it too. It's, it's a decision for them. You know, it's, although we have a good relationship, they're not going to just buy into any company or, or sorry, finance any company. Um, it's got to be in their kind of sector, even some kind, sometimes in their, ge- you know, like geographical region. Um, that has a lot to do with it, but, you know, those are the two routes that we'll typically go. And so you, you and your business partner have a lot of operational experience that you've gotten through, you know, running your own brands. Um, are, are you guys going to be 
uh, operating these companies you acquire? Or are you putting in a management team and you're kind of overseeing from a strategic view now? Yeah, that's a good question. So we're, we don't want to be in the businesses. Um, you know, we're kind of, uh, you know, although we have the capability to, I think, and I don't think that's where we want to position ourselves because we do want to scale and, and acquire more companies, right? So we don't want to, a, co- a company we acquire, we don't want to be, I don't want to be the CEO or the CMO or anything like that. I want to have the, have a nice team that's in place. Ideally, that's already there that we can come in, acquire, and, you know, depending how that owner is structured in there, you know, depends how that team will look to. Then maybe, maybe the owner is an owner operator where we need to hire somebody right off the bat that needs to be able to, needs, that understands the industry and, and is capable of running the business. Um, gotcha. Other times, the owner has already worked themselves out of the business and they have the team and it's an easy transition and, you know, there's no addbacks in terms of like owner's salary or anything like that that have to go into the deal. So, how much has it helped you as you become an investor and focused on kind of these buy side M and A activities? How much has it helped you to have gone through several sell side exits um, mm-hmm. personally? Yeah, um, it gives you that perspective for sure. Like you, you know, like I know now what you know, these buyers are interested in and, you know, everybody's not the same, but a lot of them, you know, they're, they just want the cash offer up front. And so if, you know, and, and some other guys maybe want to hang on to 20% of the business. So it's, I think it's just knowing what they want, having a good, you know, just an honest conversation with them and determining what they want out of the transaction. And, and that allows us to then, structure it in a way that's also favorable for them and, and what they actually want rather than maybe they want to hang on to 20% of the business and, you know, we're competing against, um, you know, an LOI that is going to want to buy out hundred percent or nothing. And so, you know, we can, even if our offer is a little bit worse in terms of cash offer or whatever it is, they may go with us because they get to kind of see the upside as we, we scale it as well. So it's just about yeah having that conversation with the seller and figuring out yeah what they want out of the deal. Um, but that that definitely helps get that perspective from you know building the brand myself. Yeah, awesome. So any uh, any projects you wanna you wanna mention or are able to mention at this point um, that might be of interest to our to our listeners? Um, not in particular. I mean, I will say the one transaction we have. Um, right now that we're looking to close in three to four weeks is an e-commerce pool parts company. Um, very unique in terms of, um, you know, they have like two employees, but they're doing, you know, just under 7 million top line. Um, so it's a very, very efficient business, um, in terms of employment and, and operations. Um, and they were, you know, this company is 18 years old. So it's a lot of the same. That's another thing we see is like a lot of, a lot of these older companies that are amazing. They're kind of grandfathered in, in terms of e-commerce or organic traffic in a way, because, you know, they were started 18, 20 years ago. And although their website may not be the greatest in terms of appearance or functionality, that's where we can come in and add some value, give it a fresh website, bring in, 
you know, the functionality that makes it even more automated, more efficient, and kind of piggyback on what they've, the brand that they've, you know, created and, and is known. Um, so that's. Yeah. Something yeah. with an 18 or 20 year history online has got great, great organic traffic, really good SEO, probably already established. Well, um, you know, how can our listeners kind of connect with you or your your new uh, acquisition company venture? You know, if there are opportunities they want to talk to you about, and what um, uh, what would be the best way to do that? Uh, the best way to do that is um, is kind of submit to us on uh, synergysum.com. and that sounds just like it's spelled. Um, or sorry, it's spelled just like it sounds. But yeah, that's that's the easiest efficient way to get to us i think and there's a form on there you can fill out whether you're looking to exit your brand that will take a look at it or if you just have questions for us um so yeah okay and then uh you know kind of last last question here you know how is your experience generally working with with website closers would you would you recommend using us to uh you know to to friends or other people who are thinking about uh, selling their company yeah, I definitely recommend you guys. Um, again, it was a lot more seamless, I think, and um, headache-free than I thought it would be. Um, and so I would say, you know, one thing is, you know, running a business is hard, um, especially if it's a successful one. <laughs> and so I guess when you're, you know, when you're looking to exit, you know, you guys make it very easy in terms of understanding, you know, where the business owner is at and, and how hectic it it already is and so that's definitely makes it much much easier all right that was sean kelly with rari nutrition you can find at rari.com that's rari nutrition.com Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like this show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button, and share it with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode was edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Isaac Porter. Follow me on all my social channels, and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers podcast.